0: a few moments tonight, a study about gratitude and about thanksgiving and how that ties into and connects with this um, thing we call communion. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to First Thessalonians chapter 5, please, if you don't mind. 1 Thessalonians 5, and if you don't have a Bible... Um, Shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can follow along with me um, on the PowerPoint. I've got some slides slides I'm going to use, so I hope it's okay. I'm just going to slow down a little bit tonight, okay? Now, you do understand that the Holy Spirit can move without a preacher taking his coat off and preaching like I preach on Sundays. Now, I preach like that because that's just my style. I mean, I do everything in life like that. If you go to a ball game with me and my team scores, I'm going to scream up and down and yell and holler. I mean, I watched the ball game today, and there were several moments of rejoicing and clapping and yelling and Kelly going, Do you have to be so loud? Absolutely, I do have to be so loud. So that's just how I am. But I want you to understand, as Pentecostal people, we think that the louder we get, the more God moves. That's just not true. Now, even though I'm going to teach a little bit tonight, I still need you to help me. Okay? I believe that God and the Holy Spirit can come in and move in a moment like this and do as much or more in a moment of quietness or stillness. And he can move in a shout as well. So I'm just going to slow down a little bit tonight. Okay? So 1 Thessalonians 5:18, I want to read this verse of scripture to you, and it comes, I've, the version I'm using is a new living translation. So here's what, what Paul says: <clears throat> Be thankful or give thanks. Somebody say give thanks. Be thankful or give thanks in all. Somebody say all. All. Now, you know what all means, don't you? All. All, thank you. Everyone, everything. All means all. So be thankful or give thanks in all circumstances. So does all mean even in bad circumstances? Does it also mean when things are tough and things are tight and things are stressful it means all circumstances now watch this and we talk a lot about the will of God don't we we all anybody in here you just want to know God's complete will for your life you just want to know exactly what what the blueprint is now you understand that the Bible talks about the good acceptable and perfect will of God I'm gonna bust some of your bubbles there are not three different types of will of God there's not a good perfect and acceptable all of God's will is good Oh, man, i got people going past. I never... So where does that verse come from? Be, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Here's the truth. God's will is good, God's will is perfect, and God's will is acceptable, period. I've heard people say, I just want to be in the perfect will of God. Like there's a difference between the good will of God and the perfect will of God. It's all the same. God's will is good, God's will is perfect, and God's will is acceptable. That's it in the discussion. I would preach to the choir, but they're not here. Now, listen, I know this is a little different tonight. You know, you're not accustomed to, but change is good. You know, a little difference is good, okay? Difference is good. So here's what it says. Be thankful to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Wait a minute. We think that God's will is just about who we date, who we marry, where we go, what kind of car we buy, what kind of job we have. That is part of the will of God. But if I read what Paul wrote here correctly... Being thankful or giving thanks in all circumstances, this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do I have anybody here tonight who belongs to Christ? Just raise your hand. Anybody here who belongs to Christ? Now we gotta let's just be honest. Sunday night, I would say that the majority, I feel pretty certain most of you have a relationship with Christ. You're here because I'm, I'm assuming you wanna be here, you wouldn't be here. You might be here because your spouse forced you to be here or twisted your arm to be here, but you're here. Now watch this. I'm ready to again to you. Be thankful or give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So here's the truth. Thankfulness and gratitude is the will of God for your life at all times. Poo. Now, here's what I want, to, I, want to, I want to teach a little bit tonight. And I'm going, to, I'm going to teach about thanksgiving and gratitude. I'm going to tie it in with communion because there's a direct parallel with the Lord's Supper and communion and thanksgiving. So I want to talk to you tonight about being thankful in all circumstances. Thankful in all circumstances. And we're going to use 1 Thessalonians 5.18 as our, as our backdrop. Gratitude or thanksgiving or thankfulness has been defined as the accent of the language of heaven. Where grumbling or unthankfulness has been defined, somebody said, as the accent of the language of hell. Whose accent are you speaking? If you're griping and complaining all the time? I might not make a whole lot of friends time this night's over. Now, if I preach truth to you, i got to teach truth to you, okay? So if you gripe and complain all the time, you're not speaking the language of heaven. If you gripe and complain all the time and you're unthankful, that's, that's the accent of the language of hell. Listen, your accent will give you away. I'm going to pick up my youth pastor for a minute. They are from deep southwest Virginia. They are from Lee County. When you get to Lee County, you can't go anywhere but the end of the earth. <laughs> he youth pastor at a place called St. Charles, one way in and one way out, right? His accent gives him away. We can tell he's from deep southwest Virginia. Now, my accent is probably not as deep southwest as his, but it's still, it's still country to a degree. Let me give you an example. I, I went to a, uh, a Redskin game a few years back, and I made the the bad decision of using public transportation. You park, pay 25 bucks, and you ride this bus to the stadium. I did it once, I'll never do it again. It's okay before the game, but when you get on the bus after the game, everybody's drunk and you're not drunk, it just makes for a very unpleasant ride back to your vehicle. So I pay a few extra dollars, get a parking pass, and just walk. But anyway, so we get on the bus, me and this pastor friend of mine, and uh, the Redskins were playing the team of the Philadelphia Eagles. So you get on the bus and... And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Redskin fan. My dad uh, held tickets. He sold programs as a kid. My grandparents held season tickets. I mean, it's in my blood. So I get on the bus, and there's some Eagle fans. They just kind of are just joking around. They're just, you know, jiving and jabbing, and y'all going to lose. We're going to kill you. Well, I don't have enough sense just to ignore to go to my seat. So I just kind of start talking back. Now, you got to remember, this is somebody from Philadelphia, and they have a pretty strong accent from up north. And here I am, and I said something back. And he says to me, joking, get to the back of the bus, West Virginia. Ain't nobody talking to you. <laughs> now, you know why I said that, don't you? Because I talked like I was from way down below where they were. So I just kind of laughed. But I got the last laugh because they won the game, and we all just felt better anyway. So Your accent will give you away. So if you're, if you're thankful and you're speaking thanksgiving and you're grateful and you're gracious, and you express gratitude, that's the accent of the language of heaven. But, but unthankfulness and grumbling and complaining, that's not the accent of the language of heaven. Now, in about 10 days, we're all going to sit around a table, right? And we're going to celebrate what we call Thanksgiving. I'm afraid that Thanksgiving has just lost some of what the word really means. Because we will just sit around a table and we'll take just a moment or two and give thanks, not very long. And we'll eat a big meal, nothing wrong with that. We'll watch three football games, watch the Macy's Day Parade, and the list goes on and on, things that we'll do. But should we really just set aside one day out of the year to be thankful? I think that Thanksgiving should be an attitude and a spirit that we have. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to take a closer look at this thing we call gratitude. And more specifically, how is it or is it even possible to obey 1 Thessalonians 5.18 and be thankful in all circumstances? Let me just ask, has anybody this week grumbled or complained or been unthankful? Oh, Lord Jesus, please. So the rest of you have not said one negative word all week. And then I'm going to preach on the Ten Commandments next week, and the first one is thou shalt not lie. <laughs> I've been unthankful this week. I've been ungrateful this week. I've taken the little blessings of God for granted. I've complained. I've grumbled. Is it possible? Is it possible to obey 1 Thessalonians five eighteen to and be thankful in all Circumstances, especially if our circumstances are not good. You know, what what fuels thanksgiving when life just seems to be one discouragement, one more disappointment, one disease, one one disaster, one death after another? What fuels a thankful spirit when when life's circumstances contradict a thankful attitude? Now, I don't want to make you feel bad tonight. I don't want you to leave here and go, man, I'm just a terrible, horrible person, and I'm not thankful. Well, hopefully I may, I may teach you into a spirit of conviction and go, man, I need to be a little more grateful. And I need to talk a little bit more like, like heaven and be, be thankful for, for the things that God has blessed me with. So how is it possible to do that? There's only one way. Jesus is the only way. And Jesus shows us the way on how to be thankful in all circumstances. Now, just before that Jesus would willingly die on the cross, you do understand Jesus willingly laid his life down on the cross. Nobody forced him. He didn't have to. He willingly laid his life down on the cross. And just before he would do that, he would gather his disciples together in an upper room, and he would celebrate something known as Passover, this meal that they would eat, and they would eat it in celebration of God's deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, the death angel passing over the house where the blood was applied and the firstborn of Israel were spared. They would gather around this table in a a position where they they would recline around the table, had these pillows around them, and they would eat this meal. And traditionally, they would drink from four different cups during Passover. In between the third and the fourth cup, Jesus institutes something known as Communion, right? If you read the scripture. He institutes something known as communion, or we call it the Lord's Supper, or it is also called, I don't know if you've heard this, some of you probably have, it's also called the Eucharist. Okay. So communion, the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't, we don't call it Eucharist much anymore. We don't refer to it as that anymore. But it's a powerful word, and it means thanks now stay with me so communion the lord's supper eucharist or thanks so the best place for us to see jesus showing us the way of thankfulness or thanksgiving or gratitude is around the table with his disciples during communion okay luke 22 and 19 says this and he took Bread. He gave thanks. Remember, he's now around the table with his disciples in the upper room between that third and fourth cup. They're instituting communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now look right here. He took bread, and he gave what? Say it again. He gave? He gave thanks. So you have Communion. You have the Lord's Supper, or you have what we know as Eucharist, which means thanks. Now, I'm not a Greek or a Hebrew scholar, but I've done enough study, and I love words. The Greek word for thanks or thanksgiving is eucharistio. Thus, we get Eucharist, communion of the Lord's Supper. Okay? And we'll teach you a little bit tonight. Is that okay if I teach you a little bit tonight? It's powerful. It's powerful, powerful revelation. So, when Jesus gives thanks, that's where we get Eucharist. So, it's not just the Lord's Supper or communion that we're partaking of. We're really giving thanks or thanksgiving when we take communion. Okay, let me keep going. In that word, Eucharistio, there's a root word. You see it here in parentheses? It's pronounced "caris," and it means grace, okay? I don't need any response when I teach. I just need you to keep listening and looking and stay with me. So in Eucharistio, you not only have thanksgiving, but you have another word, "caris," which is the root which speaks of grace. So watch this. Jesus took the bread, and he saw it as grace, And he gave thanks. So watch. He took the bread and saw the physical, literal bread that they had as an act of God's grace or graciousness or favor, and he offered thanks to God. Now, where do you think we get this thing of saying grace before we eat? We're not really saying grace. We're really saying thanks for the grace that has provided the meal we're getting ready to eat. Ooh, Lord, I might be able to preach a little bit here. I need to stop now and just keep, just stay settled. So the next time you sit down at the table, and does anybody say, we're going to say grace." Well, you don't say grace, do you? You don't look at your food and go, "Grace, Amen." <laughs> do you do that? But you do give thanks, don't you? You give Eucharist or Eucharistio thanksgiving. For the food that's before you, because if not for the grace or graciousness of God, you don't have that food to eat. So the next time you sit down at the table and we're going to say grace, I hope this brings a whole new meaning. I'm not saying grace, I'm saying thanks for the provision that comes as the result of the grace of God. Because if it wasn't for the grace or graciousness or favor of God, you have no food. If it wasn't for the grace, the gracious or favor of God, you have no job. And if you have no job, you have no income. So you know what we do sometimes? We complain and we fuss and we gripe about our boss and how cantankerous and rude he is, how we hate where we work, but it is the grace of God that gave you that job, that gives you a paycheck, that lets you buy the things that you have and eat the meal that you have. So when you say grace, you're not saying grace, you're saying thanks for the grace that you've provided. You okay? Okay, now watch. So he took the bread, he saw his grace, he gave thanks, he took the bread, knew it to be a gift, and he gave thanks. So in that word, Eucharistio, you have thanksgiving, you have grace, and there's another root word. Go to the next slide, please. It's kara, and it means joy. So Eucharistio speaks of thanksgiving, it speaks of grace and it speaks of joy, okay? Watch this. Let's think just for a moment about what Jesus' Eucharistia or thanksgiving, what it really meant. I believe here's what he was saying. Thank you, Father. Now, now keep in mind, it's, it's literal bread, it's the fruit of the vine, it's, it's, it's literal elements that are there. But we know symbolically when you look at it, and we understand that Jesus talked about this that bread symbolized his broken body, and the fruit of the vine, the cup, symbolized his his blood, which all happened at Calvary, right, when he was crucified. All right? Here's what he was saying Thank you, Father, that my body, symbolized by this bread, is about to be brutally broken. and I'm about to be momentarily damned by your wrath so that you will receive supreme glory in being able to forgive undeserving sinners. And I will share eternally full joy, somebody say joy, with hundreds of millions of forgiven sinners made righteous through my sacrifice. Now here it is. Jesus is not just giving thanks for that bread, but when you pull the layers back and you look at it, he's giving thanks to God for His body that's about to be broken and bruised and tortured. And because of His body that would be broken and bruised for us, grace, caris is going to be extended to millions of people who are without Christ, and as a result of those people receiving that grace, Jesus is going to receive complete and full joy. Take a deep breath at that. I, you might should have brought your steak tonight. I'm gonna give you a little meat tonight to eat on. You get that? So, communion, Eucharistio thanksgiving, Jesus around that table is offering thanks for the grace. That's going to be extended because of the work of the cross. And because of all of those people that will receive his grace, it brings him eternal joy. So thus you have Eucharistio, you've got thanksgiving, you've got grace, and you've got joy all at one setting. You still with me? Okay, let me keep going. Jesus' thanks for his attitude of gratitude was not based on his present circumstances. He was getting ready to endure the worst possible horror ever known to man, Kenny Hancock. I mean, they were getting ready to put him through sheer torture. And they're going to tie him to a whipping post first, weren't they? And beat him within an inch of his life. Right? They were going to push that crown of thorns on his head bury it deep in his brow. I mean, I don't have time. I've preached this before and talked to you about this. They're going to nail spikes through his hands and through his feet. I mean, he was going to be, I mean, brutally beaten, bruised, his being broken through a literal, torturous, tormenting death. So Jesus' thanksgiving was not based on his present circumstances. But he felt thankful to the Father Because he took the bread and gave thanks, didn't he? He felt thankful to the Father for the grace and glory that was coming because of the cross, and it gave him joy. Eucharistio, thanksgiving. Jesus gave thanks because of the grace that would be extended to all of those people that were without Christ. You know what it brought to him? It brought him joy. Eucharistio, thanksgiving, caris, grace, carah, joy. So here we go, and this is not going to take long. Future joy should fuel your thankful endurance. Listen, you may not be thankful for your present circumstances right now, but you should be thankful for a future joy that God has promised you. Anybody, you may be in here right now, you're going maybe through some difficult times. Listen, are you always thankful for circumstances that are hard and difficult? I'm not. But I am thankful because there's a future joy that God has promised me that I know I'm going to have if I'll continue to live my life for Christ. Listen, Jesus' thanksgiving or Eucharistia was fueled by his belief in future grace. Now watch this. Watch what Hebrews says. You ready for this? He said, let us run with patience the race that is before us, right? Looking unto Jesus who for the joy somebody say joy The joy, the karah, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, Jesus' eyes were not on future joy. You know how he got through the cross? He got through the cross by not focusing on the cross, but on the promised joy that would result from it. He wasn't, listen... He got through the cross not by saying thank God for the cross, but thank God for the future joy that's going to come as a result of the cross. Not only are millions of people going to receive grace, karah, but I'm going to be seated at the right hand of God. That brought him joy to know that he would live in the presence of his father forever. Is everybody okay? Nod your head if you're okay. All right. That's where God wants our eyes. Not on our present circumstances, but on the future joy he has promised you so now here's the question what do you have to look forward to well if you're a believer you have a lot to look forward to is that true here you go you will have according to Romans 6 23 you'll have the free gift of complete forgiveness of all your sins exceeding extending into forever number two you will have listen not and you don't have you don't have future joy to look toward just in heaven but i believe even down here there's some promises that we enjoy You'll have all your real needs provided while on this earth according to Philippians 4.19. According to 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, you will receive all the grace you need at all times so you will abound in every good work God has for you. According to Philippians 1 and 6, while we are down here, he will complete in us the good work that he started. According to 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53, you will be raised from the dead and never ever die again. Is that what the Bible tells us? That means that someday soon... You'll see Jesus. You'll be with him according to 2 Corinthians 5, 8, and according to 2, uh, 1 John 3 and 2, we will be like him, the Bible says. Well, that gives me something to look forward to, doesn't it, you? Now watch. In that day, you will know for the first time when you get in his presence, full and unpolluted joy. What does the Bible say Psalm 16, 11? In his presence there is fullness of joy. According to Romans eight you'll be completely free from all corruption. According to 1 Peter 3 and 18 and Psalm 43 and 4, you will have God forever as your exceeding joy. And that's just a small sampling of what we have to look forward to. So it's not not the present that we focus on, but it's it's the hope of the future joy that fuels a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude at all times and in all places. And the joy that's set before you is the same joy that Jesus had set before him. You know why? Because according to Romans 8 and 17, I'm an heir of God and a joint heir of Jesus Christ. So that means whatever belongs to him belongs to me. Do you interpret? It? If I'm your heir, that means that everything that you have, I'm going to receive. Is that what that means? I'm not only an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And if Jesus has that future joy that he looked toward, if it belongs to him, it belongs to me because I'm a joint heir with him. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm teaching pretty good. I don't mean to be arrogant. I'm just helping myself a little bit here now. Now, so how... How do we have an attitude of gratitude? How do we live with thanksgiving? You look to the joy that's set before you. Now, here's what you say, but pastor, right now, I have trouble. That's okay. Jesus said we'd have trouble, didn't he? What did he say in John 16, 33? In this world, you will have everything good and rosy and peace and nothing will ever go wrong. Did he say that? Hey, Brother Weaver? you've been pastor and preaching a long time. He didn't say that, did he? In this world, you will have what? Troubles and tribulations. But, 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 be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. Now, we may not, ex- we're not going to experience that overcoming complete victory till the day that Jesus comes and takes us to heaven. That's the joy, the future joy that fuels my gratitude, Aunt B. And listen, here's the good thing. He understands the trouble that you're in right now. According to Hebrews 4 and 15, for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feet of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted as we were yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, Pastor, right now, my present circumstances aren't very good. That's what the Bible said was going to happen. But he understands And here's how we can be thankful in all circumstances, looking to the future joy that's going to come because one day when I get in His presence, I will see Him. I will be like Him. And what the Bible tells us in Revelation, He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more grief. There'll be no more loss. There'll be no more separation. My God, when we get there, we will be like Him and see Him and everything will be wonderful and it's that, looking to that future joy that fuels an attitude of gratitude in my life, that though it's hard right now, I'm going to offer Eucharistio thanksgiving because I know what God is planned for my life. I'm almost done, I promise. So how do you give thanks in all circumstances? There's only one way, Jesus' way. You look to the joy set before you. Look to the joy. Let's Can we say that together? Look to the joy let's say it again look to the joy one more time look to the joy what's the joy it's the joy of being in his presence and ruling and reigning with him forever listen you'll never be able to wiggle out of or get away from the fact that there's gonna be trouble in this world there's gonna be trials there's gonna be tribulations There's gonna be temptations there's gonna be things that happen in your life in your family it's not always gonna be wonderful but we look to the future joy that's coming. Listen, some of you, and there's a lot of, there's about 60 million people, 60 million people, that were just head over heels on early Wednesday morning. 60 million people. There's about 60 and a half million people that were not very happy. My thankfulness and my Eucharistio thanksgiving is not in what a man can or can't do for me. You know what should fuel our thankful endurance, Pastor Tony? The fact that we already have a future that Jesus has prepared for us. Which it look like, Pastor, here's what he said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And that means forever. My God, it doesn't get any better than that. Now I've done going from teaching to preaching right here. So the next time we're tempted to grumble and complain and not have a thankful attitude, listen, it may be connected to what's happened presently, but I understand I've got a future joy that helps me have a spirit of thanksgiving. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For by grace, caris. there it is, grace, you have been saved by what? You've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, here we go. God's grace, caris. there it is, is revealed by his work on the cross. Is the cross a symbol of God's grace? Hello? Is the cross a visible symbol of the grace of God in our lives? It has to be. It's a picture of God's grace of us not getting what we really deserved. What did we deserve? Thank you, death, hell, and a grave. And if you say, oh, pastor, not me, I'm going to take you outside and lock you out. <laughs> All of us deserve that. But the cross reveals the grace, the caris of God, His grace or graciousness or favor toward us. You know what that that should create in us? A spirit of thanksgiving. Some of you got that going home look on your face. We're going to take communion in just a minute and you'll be all right. God's grace, graciousness, favor toward us. You know what that should create in us? A thankful spirit and a thankful heart and an attitude of gratitude. If you can't, listen, if you can't find thanksgiving and thankfulness in the grace of God, you've got serious, serious trouble. Because you know where all of us should be tonight? We should be in a devil's hell, completely alienated and away from God, Sean Burton. That's where we should, all. every one of us, including the preacher. But God's grace, graciousness, Kept that from happening. Should we not be thankful for that? Okay, here we go. And it should create in us, God's grace should create a spirit of thanksgiving in us that leads to a full and complete joy in our lives that says, you know what? I'm satisfied and content and full of joy. Listen, if God doesn't do anything else ever again for us. If God never answers one more prayer. Listen, there'd be a lot of folks be mad at him. Sister Weaver, I, don't, I wouldn't have to have God do anything else. He's already done enough. You know what he did? He gave his only son. What, what, else, what else do I really need from him? Anything? So here's the thing. He, listen, joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Happiness is for some of us, but joy, listen, joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is a state of mind and a state of being that we have that we know regardless of what happens. I have a future because of Christ, so that gives me joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And there's folks that they they just they quit on God because things don't go their way. They don't have true joy. Now, does joy mean that you walk around all the time with a big smile on your face, your head in the clouds, everything is wonderful and great and fantastic, and it's just pie in the sky? No, that gets on my nerves. How many times we come to church, we'll shake hands, hey, oh, I'm doing great, praise Lord. Stop lying. No, you're not. You get here on Sunday morning. Listen. Anybody ever been on your way to church on Sunday morning and things just not go very well in the car on the way here or at home before you get here? And you've had to fuss at the kids? And you and your wife have had a little spat? You're laughing because it happens. And you kick the dog on the way out the door and maybe even said a dirty word on your way out. And you get here, and the first person you run into shakes your hand, says, good morning, how you doing? And you go, I'm doing wonderful, praise the Lord. You're lying. (laughs) That's not true. What are you supposed to say? Well, my kids have plucked my last nerve this morning. My wife don't know when to shut up, or my husband doesn't know when to shut up. But we can't say that, can we? Because you know what we, we've learned to do in the church? We've learned to put this facade and this mask on and never be our, Listen, that joy is not always being happy about everything, but it doesn't mean that you throw the towel in and quit when it gets hard. You've got a joy because you know what the future holds. And you've got a, a spirit of joy that comes from thanksgiving because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Nothing more and nothing less. That should fuel a spirit of Eucharistio or thanksgiving. Now... Pastor to come to the keys, please. Let me bring this full circle back to communion. What did Jesus say at communion? When he took the bread, he gave what? He gave thanks. Eucharistio, he gave thanksgiving. Why? Well, in a natural sense, he gave thanks because of the grace that God had provided to have the bread for he and his disciples to eat. But it was much deeper than that. He offered thanksgiving because of the grace that he knew was going to be extended to millions of people that were lost without Jesus coming. And you know what that brought to him? It brought joy. So when you look at, in just a moment, we're going to receive the elements. It's a time of thanksgiving because of the grace of God that should give every one of us a complete and a full joy, regardless. I hope you never see communion the same again. Here's what he said: 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Paul is, is talking again about receiving the Lord's table. He's giving the church at Corinth some instructions. He goes back and he he just repeats Jesus' words. And when he had given, given what? He gave him thanks. He took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he he gave it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Okay, don't check out on me. I'm done. This is my last point. The crux of Christianity is to remember and give thanks. You know, communion, we look back, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, we look back on what He has done, right? We're reminded when we take communion that He was a broken, bloodied, beaten, bruised, battered Savior. We look back. If you read Corinthians, we look back. We also look within because Paul said, let a man examine himself before he partakes of communion. But we not only look back and look within, but we also, we look ahead. Because Paul said, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when he comes back this time, guess what? He's not coming back as a beady, beaten, bloody, bruised, battered, torn, tattered Savior, is he? No, he's not coming back as a Slaughtered lamb. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, strong and mighty and powerful. We look back at what he's done, but we look ahead to what it's going to be like. The crux of Christianity is to remember and give thanks. Remembering with thanks is what causes us to trust, to really believe. Listen, remembering with thanks is what makes us a member again of the body of Christ. Because when you have communion, you come into union with. Every time we partake of communion, we're connected again to the body of Christ. That's what the word means. Now watch this. And remembering with thanks is what puts us back together again in this hurried, broken, fragmented world that we live in. Now watch this. This do in remembrance of me. Remember the dying thief on the cross? You remember the request he made of Christ? He said, Lord, what? Remember me. My inaugural sermon that I preached here almost two years ago, I talked about that word remember. And the Greek word literally means if you remember something, it's the putting back together again of that which has been pulled apart. If something is dismembered, it's pulled apart, right? If you remember something, you put it back together again. So the dying thief on the cross wasn't saying, Lord, I want you to think about me. Because he'd been through some of the same torture Christ he'd been through. His body was a broken mess, that dying thief was. You know what he was really saying to Jesus? Lord, I'm a broken, torn apart mess up here. Would you put me back together again? So listen, when we... What did Jesus say? This do in remembrance of me. So every time that we drink this cup and we eat this bread, you know what we do with the Lord? We we, we put him back together again. When we take communion, it's not just the broken, bloody, beaten Savior. We do it in remembrance. We put him back together again as the strong, mighty, powerful King of kings and Lord of lords. Does that make sense? Because see, what we do... We get to the table and we should weep and cry and think about the punishment. But it's not just about looking back. We have to look ahead. When he comes back, he's not coming as some little meek woolly lamb. What all the revelators say? His hair is gonna be like wool. His eyes like a flame of fire. If I wasn't teaching, I stand up on this pew again, I feel it in my bones die. Out of his mouth goes a two-edged sword. Woo! On his side, there's a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That doesn't sound like a little meek, lowly lamb to me, Gene Turpin. God, I feel the Holy Ghost on Sunday night teaching a little bit. and My head doesn't. It's just I got that head rubbing anointing on me. I can't hardly take it. So listen, tonight, and then we're going to take just a moment before we leave. We're gonna, we're gonna, I just feel led to pray for folks that need healing in their body. I just feel the Holy Spirit just brooding right here. I I just sense Him in this moment just settling down. When we pull this little top back and this little unleavened wafer and this little bit of juice, don't, 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 don't take it so lightly, it's powerful. That's one of the reasons I don't do it every... I know a lot of churches do communion every Sunday. I think it loses some of its significance when you just get in a habit of doing it all the time. That's why I pick strategic times. Listen, our Christmas Eve service, we're going to celebrate communion on Christmas Eve. I strategically plan times during the year because I think, it, I think if we're not careful, we just we get in the, the habit of just doing, man, we're going to take communion and thank the Lord. No, 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 it's powerful. And we do it in remembrance of Him. So here's the deal. If it puts Him back together again, am I a joint heir with Christ according to Romans eight seventeen, Am I? And there are people that come to the table sometimes fragmented and broken and pulled apart in this crazy, hurried world we live in. And if when I do this, I do it in remembrance, it puts that broken bloody beaten body back together that means it has the power and the potential to put me back together again and bring healing to my life and healing to my body and healing to my emotions I never want us to see it the same again that means I'm convinced tonight if you're sick in your body you can partake now listen I don't believe there's anything magical in this Matter of fact, this juice is not even good. My 15-year-old said, can we not have apple juice or something? It's just like baptism. Those waters are just, those are just waters. But it's the symbolism of the water. There's no power in that water when we baptize people, is it? It's just roll tap water. Symbolic of an old man or old woman being buried and raised to new life. There's no power in this old hard wafer. There's no power in this sour juice. But it's symbolic of a broken body, a bloodied savior. it's symbolic of a powerful lion that's coming back to take us to heaven to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. And if it puts him back together again, it just stands to reason. It'll put us back together again. I mean, if I believe physically that there's healing when we take, partake of communion, I believe that that mentally and emotionally there's healing. Have you ever heard of somebody's heart being broken? You ever heard that saying? I believe God can heal us emotionally, put some things back together in our hearts again when we partake of communion if we enter into it, right? Here's my hope, is that your thanksgiving, not just in 10 days, when you sit down at the table, I hope that your thanksgiving, not just on that Thursday, but from here on out, may all your thanksgiving be soaked in Eucharistia thanksgiving, grace, and joy. Joy. Not in what's happening, but joy in what Jesus has done for us. And knowing that it doesn't get any better than that. And our thanksgiving should come as a result, Brother Beckner, of, of, from the grace of God that's been extended to us, and that should give us full and complete joy. In his presence, there's what kind of Joy. fullness, and there's joy unspeakable. That means you can't find the words to express it. So that means that the bottom could fall out Monday. Oh, it's going to affect you. It may hurt, it may frustrate, make you angry, but it doesn't affect your Thanksgiving. I'm not talking about a season either. I'm not talking about a day. I'm talking about a spirit. It doesn't affect your Eucharistio, your spirit of thanks. Because, listen, thanksgiving and truth, true thankfulness is not connected to circumstances, people, or places. It's connected to the grace that God's extended to us. That's why we have complete and full total joy. I can just keep going and going and going. <laughs>